Are you a parent in business that wants to learn digital marketing the right way? So you've got an amazing business and you want to shout it from the rooftops. You want everyone to know about it and you want to generate consistent revenue. You love the idea of your business working for you whilst you are busy making memories with your family. The one thing stopping you is digital marketing. From SEO to blogging, from creating your own digital courses to creating podcasts that parents will love. My Bumped Baby has the solution. We have launched our Digital Marketing Academy and it is designed for parent-focused business owners to grow and scale their business with ease. Our academy can be accessed from anywhere on any device, which means as a busy parent in business, you can learn on the go with our bite-sized straight-to-the-point videos. Join us today by visiting the link below and have seven-day free trial on us to see if the area is right for you. Click the link under this podcast to start benefiting today and access our training right away. We look forward to seeing you in there and teaching you everything you need to know about digital marketing for parent-focused businesses. Hi guys, it's Carla Lett here, the founder of My Bumped Baby, and I have some really exciting news for you guys. So I am going to be launching the ultimate blogging course, a course that is going to show you how to blog successfully online. Whether you're a mum that wants to earn a passive income online from the comfort of your own home and work around your family, or you might be a business owner that wants to bring more people to your website, whatever your blogging goals are, I can help you. And I want to share this course with you. My course is going to be launched on the 1st of the 11th, 2022. And the first 111 people to access my course and purchase it are going to get a jaw-dropping discount. If you are interested in finding out how to blog, then join my mailing list where I'll be sharing lots of free tips, tools and training to support you on your blogging journey. So you can subscribe to my mailing list by heading to mybumptobaby.com forward slash blog subscribe. The link should be at the bottom of this podcast. Really excited to see you over there. Hello and welcome to My Bump to Baby Expert Podcast, where we bring experts from all over the UK to answer your questions on everything pregnancy to preschool. Hello everybody and welcome to My Bumped Babies Expert Podcast. Today I am joined by Nicola Bright, partner at Myerson Solicitors in Altrincham and today we are talking about consent to fertility treatments. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello everybody and welcome to My Bumped Babies Expert Podcast. Today I am joined 
by the lovely Nicola Bright, partner at Myosin Solicitors um, in Altrincham. Hello, Nicola. How are you? Hello. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm fine. How are you? I'm really good. And I'm looking forward to this subject because um, my bumped baby, I mean, this subject that we're going to be talking about today is consent to fertility. Yeah. And um, my bumped baby writes a lot of articles around trying to conceive and um I, for one, know that just because you've had a smooth sailing uh, pregnancy the first time around and you've got pregnant quite quickly, the second time can be quite different. Third yeah. time can be quite different again. So obviously if we live in an amazing world where there's so many things that people can do now in terms of fertility, which is just incredible. Um, but there is, you know, law issues around yeah, those definitely. things and you're the expert on this subject so we're going to kick off with um some questions for you Nicola if that's okay that's absolutely fine go ahead so what is the law surrounding fertility treatment so there's various um legal provisions surrounding treatment so we we often advise individuals or couples and sometimes clinics on the law surrounding fertility treatment. So deciding to start a family is one of the most important decisions that anyone will make in life. So whilst, like you said, not all couples can conceive naturally, fertility treatments like IVF give people a really good chance to have a family. Um, however, there is a caveat to that. I I often advise people who, who before they start treatment, that process, I'll tell them it's really important to seek legal advice at an early stage on things like the consent to the fertility treatment. So most couples will obviously use a licensed fertility clinic within the UK. Mm -hmm. So you'll get couples who go abroad and then the legal provisions are slightly different. So for the purposes of today, I'll talk about couples who are going to treatment in this country. Great. Um, some couples don't realise that if they try and do what's called DIY insemination, you might have seen programmes on the TV about this, you know, men who father hundreds of children by do donating their sperm. I think there was a Channel 4 documentary about a year ago about this. I don't know if you saw yes. it. Yes. So that can create a whole host of problems. So if, for example, you're using a donor for sperm on a DIY basis, you found someone online, there are websites for it, believe it or not. And you have no intention of that donor being part of a child's life. That That is not what happens. So if you use a donor on that basis without going to a clinic, the sperm donor will be the legal father of the child when the child's born. So that person could, if he wanted to, ask for contact, ask for parent responsibility, make an application to the court. At the same time, he could be ordered to pay maintenance. So it creates this obligatory relationship between parents and then the responsibilities of that a parent has. <laughs> so it can be if you don't go to a clinic, you're in you could be in trouble. Yeah. So I thought, I mean, this is me being naive here, mm. that if he wasn't on the birth certificate, then, mm. you know, that that couldn't happen. So that actually someone could come forward and yeah. say, actually. Yeah. So. And how you get around that? if you were a father who donated and you you might have a situation and you do get it a lot where friends decide to enter into these sort of co well not co-parenting but these sort of relationships where they you might have a lesbian couple who haven't got obviously the sperm to use to conceive they may have a friend who's willing to do it for them mm -hmm. and is saying to them I'll do this for you on a donor basis 
and they're thinking, okay, he doesn't want anything to do with the child. And then things change as soon as that baby's born. There's been a whole host of cases in the courts about this where the father, the legal, he's the legal father, he's a biological father, has then changed his mind and then wants to be a part of that child's life. He can apply for what's called a declaration of parentage, which puts him on the birth certificate. He can then apply for parent responsibility. He can then apply for contact and residence and and lots of lots of different things that come to, that come with that so you can apply for things like going on holiday with a child christmas contact you know it, it, the list is endless mm. the legal battles are complicated expensive often fraught with you know lots of cost implications it can cost a fortune to hire barristers for these types of things um so yeah it's it's quite common actually that people enter these enter into these arrangements not realizing the implications I can imagine that because I think when you see your friends and they're struggling, it's yeah. so easy to kind of give Rude. them, yeah, give out yeah. that, you know, put that hand out yeah. there. And you don't really think about the future no. at the no. time. You just want your friends to feel better and yeah. you want to solve the problems, don't you? And yeah. um, I suppose these are things that really, you know, people need to think about before before they yeah. enter in these agreements. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it can be quite complicated. Just to contrast it with if a couple or a single person went to a clinic, so a regulated clinic, so they then had IVF or ICSI, whatever they needed to conceive. To contrast it in that situation, the woman who gives birth to the child is always going to be the legal mother. So she's always going to have the legal parent responsibility of that child when the child's born and that's whether or not she used donor eggs donor sperm or both because she's gone through a clinic she's the legal parent if she's married or in a civil partnership it's her husband or wife or civil partnership who will be the other legal parent by law so it's very simple there is no the donor of the sperm for example if they use donor sperm or donor eggs or 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 both is 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 off the scene they don't have any legal rights it's the it's the husband or the wife of that woman or the civil partner of that woman who will be the other legal parent by law so it's quite simple wow. if you go to a clinic if on sorry to throw so many questions no, okay. at you there it just sprung, sprung to mind surrogate surrogacy yes. because that's yeah. that's coming up a lot now you know yeah. you see the celebrities doing yeah. that um, yeah, a lot. yes I noticed that the other day and she's in yeah. the hospital bed as well bless her so, yeah yeah I did see that picture and um, which you know I just think it, whatever way you do motherhood is beautiful mm. I really do and and but with the surrogacy side how does that work for them then because as you said, if I've donated my eggs to someone yeah. to carry the baby, because I had a short cervix, so next yeah. time if I did want another one, that might yeah. be something that I would look at. Yeah, would that person that had um, my eggs, they would be the legal. So if you went through, a, you'd have to go through a clinic because you'd have to have the eggs inseminated. So it's not a case of the situation I was talking about before with donor. It's, it's physically impossible, obviously, in this yeah. situation with surrogacy. So what happens then is the law, It's it's there's there's a whole host of other rules for surrogates which oh, protect sorry. intended. No, it's fine. It's really simple to explain. So you're right in assuming that when the baby is born the legal mother is actually the surrogate for a short time however you have to apply for a parental order so the intended parents say you and your partner would apply for a parental order at that point to have all the legal rights transferred to you so 
you then make the application. I think it's within six weeks of the child's birth. You make the application to court and it's a special division of the court in London, actually, that deals with these applications. And there would be a welfare reporter who would just double check everything, visit you, visit the surrogate, check everything's not been you know done correctly. There's nothing underhand. Um, you know, you've only paid her sort of reasonable expenses. That's another thing that's looked at, like the expenses, because surrogacy in the UK, like commercial surrogacy in the UK is actually illegal. You can't pay someone to have a baby for you, but you can pay her expenses. And they are that's quite far reaching. You can even pay for her to go on holiday to recover from the birth. It's oh, it, wow. it, it's quite far reaching, but you yes. do need to pay for you need to show what you've paid for and show show the expenses. So all that will get checked out. There'll be general welfare checks on ev- on everyone to check this was what, what was intended, that the child's in the right place. The child would go home with you after birth. It's just that the legal rights would need to be transferred by way of this order. Mm, I understand. So, yeah, so yeah, the law doesn't change on birth, doesn't give the intended mother the immediate legal rights, but because it's a surrogate situation, you're allowed to apply for a parental order quite right. soon. Yeah, right. That's great. Yeah. I think we, we've touched on quite a lot yeah, there, no, actually. It's... I mean, it's good because yeah, no, it's really interesting. This, uh, you know, there's so many different options yeah. nowadays, which there we is. are very lucky, aren't we? So, yeah. So, um, what is capacity? Because I've heard that before. Yes, um, absolutely. So capacity in a legal sense is determination of to whether or whether someone has or lacks the mental capacity to make a decision for themselves. So typically capacity would be lacking if someone was severely mentally ill or became disabled had been in an accident for example brain damage and the capacity would have to be determined by a medical professional so lawyers can't determine capacity we can have an idea about whether someone lacks capacity and most mostly common sense would dictate that but really we'd need a medical professional to determine whether someone lacks capacity or not so in the sense of in, in, in the context of fertility treatment, so at the start of fertility treatment, each person who goes for the treatment, so typically a couple, would be asked to declare what they would like to happen with their eggs or sperm or embryos if they died or became incapacitated at any point. So if the consent to the use of those um, eggs, sperm and embryos wasn't, wasn't given by the person who then dies or becomes incapacitated, the clinic wouldn't be able to use them with the surviving or the non-incapacitated parent. So the, they would have to technically be destroyed. They wouldn't be able to use them. It's, it's effectively like a withdrawal of consent to the use because they haven't explicitly provided the consent. The consent's not there. So the other person can't use them. Um, the consents themselves have to be in writing and signed by the parents, the intended parents. Um, but there are exceptions. So this is another this is another example of how complex things can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so there have been legal challenges to this principle. So I don't know if you remember a few years ago, there was a really big case and there was a lady called Diane Blood. And she um, used, she fought a battle to conceive using her dead husband's sperm, which had been collected without his consent after he got meningitis, but he was incapacitated. So the court in the UK decided that it was an infringement of her EU rights, EU law, to deny her the right to get the treatment elsewhere in Europe. So although they couldn't lawfully have the treatment in England with her husband's sperm, 
they allowed her to use it in Belgium where she was successful. So that I thought that was quite a, a good outcome. Yeah. I mean, it's a brilliant outcome for her. She's 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 had a child since. Um, so it, it can be challenged in certain situations. Obviously, that was a very tragic Aww. circumstance. He, you know, got meningitis. It wasn't Bless expected. Him. Yeah. So. Oh goodness. Yeah. yeah. And you just so think it can be challenged, but yeah, generally, if there's no consent, you're on. You know, you've got an uphill struggle. So all the clinics that I work with. You know, any regulated clinic should be getting this consent from both parents when they take any when they take any egg sperm or make embryos out of that for the couple. So if um, we've got people listening and they want to kind of ask you about these clinics that you work with, that mm. that would be OK. We'll pop your details. at Absolutely. The end yeah. That's fine. That's, that's great. What I'm going to sorry if this this catches you off guard, but say, it's for okay. example, um, a couple went for IVF. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were successful the first time they've got, you know, egg stored. Yeah. If that couple then divorces, mm-hmm. but they have had the consent. Yeah. What would they happen can withdraw then? It. So right. the, yeah, so they can withdraw the consent. So on separation, one of the couple may decide that they don't, and this does happen mm. regularly. One of the couple may decide that they don't want their embryos or sperm or eggs using, and there because it's a unilateral decision. There's nothing the clinic or the other person can do. They they cannot be used. The consent to treatment is a dual consent. And if someone withdraw someone withdraws their consent to the future use of their frozen embryos or sperm or eggs, the other person can't do anything about it. So it can be quite sad. Mm. But obviously that, that embryo is half theirs and they that they naturally may not want it to be used. Um it's it's very difficult and this does come up in divorce sometimes and it is heartbreaking because sometimes you'll get perhaps the intended mother saying well I don't care if he's on off the scene and divorcing me I still want to have his baby but if he's withdrawn his consent to the use of that embryo she's in a very difficult position she wouldn't be able to do anything about it she effectively could meet a new partner and have IVF with him and have new embryos created there's nothing stopping that but she wouldn't be able to use her previous husband's embryo the, the embryos created with his sperm Right. Okay. So it, it it is sad when that happens. It does happen regularly, and sometimes the couple might agree to donate their embryos in that situation, jointly oh. donate. So although they can't use them together, they might say, "Well, we'll actually donate them so other couples can use them." Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. So that can happen. <laughs> oh God, I feel like I'm going to cry. I just <laughs> I think of those, but oh, it's sad, isn't it? It's really sad. But if something can come out of it, they can rather than be destroyed, they can be donated. Right. Yeah. So I suppose as well, um, it's for women. A lot of women. Um, I mean, yeah. I know I did it. Worry about your age, don't you? I mean, yeah, not, that, naturally. not that it matters as much now. I see a lot of older women like myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, well, saying myself, I'm, how old am I? Like Thirty-six, nearly. But Same as me not old not old we're not old are we no but um but we're classed as geriatric mums aren't we really we We are the IVF process now with our partners Mm -hmm. and then we got a divorce from them in say five ten Mm -hmm. years Mm -hmm. that then might be the embryos you know you've used together that you've created together yeah and it's and then you're older aren't you yeah Yes, and you might have to start again with someone else. Or you might think to yourself, because as a single parent, 
you can go through IVF on your own. You don't need to go through IVF with someone else. You could go through IVF with and use donor sperm mm-hmm. that way um, and, and make that decision. But you would be, obviously, the, the baby wouldn't have any genetic rela- relationship with your ex-partner. It would be a donor. That That's mm-hmm. the compromise. But you wouldn't be able to use the embryos that you'd created if yeah. you if he withdrew his consent at that point Mm. embryos can be stored for up to 55 years believe it or not wow with 10-year renewals in between so typically 10 years every time 10 years elapses you 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 have your renewal but up to 55 years you can have embryos stored wow and eggs and sperm yeah it's a long time wow yeah that's incredible i know it is so can um fertility treatment still being given if they lack capacity if someone Um, lacks capacity generally no unless they became incapacitated after the treatment started and they'd already given that consent so it may well be so so no so the answer to your question someone that lacks capacity wouldn't be able to have fertility treatment because they wouldn't be able to produce the required consents to yeah. the treatment okay there could be an argument about the right to family life there in terms of someone could argue on someone's behalf that that infringes on their right to family life which is a human right and that would be something that would have to be legally challenged potentially by a human rights lawyer mm. if a couple start the treatment and they both have capacity and then one of them becomes incapacitated after they've gone to the clinic, but before the treatment started mm-hmm. and they've said that, yes, you can use my sperm and eggs and whatever it embryos, whatever it is, they then the person can go through the treatment, so to speak, if they've already donated, even though they lack capacity, as long as they've consented to it. So similar situation to what I explained before, as long as they've consented to their their eggs and sperm or embryos being used, at the point of instructing the clinic for help and, and to say, look, we want to start IVF, even if the IVF hasn't actually started and that, um, and you know, there's a tragic accident or something happens and let's say it's the husband that's incapacitated, the wife can still go ahead and use his sperm or the embryos, whatever it is that they need, as long as he's written and signed the consent. Oh, Gosh. So that that that's a bit like what happened with Diane Flood, only the consents weren't given, so she fought it in court and then won. Um, in terms of not won, but she she got the right to go to work, to Belgium. Yeah, yeah. So so that it depends when the when they became incapacitated. It would be very difficult for someone who was incapacitated to make that decision with someone else to have IVF. Mm, of from, course, from a from a legal point of view, because that. They, if they are incapacitated to the point they can't make decisions for themselves, they can't make legal decisions for themselves. Mm. My view is that clinics would be quite concerned about taking them on as a patient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Goodness. So so um, any other fertility treatments that you think we've not made? I know we've mentioned quite yeah, a few I mean, here. The main um, ones are IVF and ICSI, which is very similar. It's, it's like an extra layer of... Um, treatment within the IVF process what about um freezing Hmm. your eggs you know yeah what what about that because there'll be some people listening to this podcast that have previous children they might want more but they haven't met the the right person yet or they don't want to do it yet what what's the 
Yeah. So you can around that. So anyone can freeze can freeze their sperm or their eggs. It's more common for women to freeze their eggs because eggs decline with age in terms of the quantity and the quality of them. So you get more women donating their eggs, sorry, not donating, freezing their eggs as opposed to men freezing their sperm. Um, It's a case of the individual going to a clinic, finding the right clinic for them. Obviously, everything comes with a cost. You know, you have to pay for this and there's an annual fee to have them stored as well. Mm. Um, In terms of storage of those obviously they're retrieved so you have to have an operation to retrieve your eggs and then they're stored for up to 55 years with the 10-year renewal so generally people decide to freeze their eggs maybe when they're in their 30s and 40s mm-hmm. and make with, with with a view to using them within the next 10 years so so they're stored for that point but if you get to the 10-year point and you need to renew for another 10 years that, that's absolutely fine some people will freeze their eggs very young because perhaps they've had to have chemotherapy or something's happened to the to their health and they might freeze very young you know there's there's cases where in in childhood and puberty eggs are frozen because of perhaps cancer treatment that's that's mm. coming up so that that can happen and in which case that's why we need the extra years 10 years isn't enough you need to keep renewing because you might have quite a young person freezing their eggs Aww. and you need a long time yeah. um but yeah freezing as is very common now and um, lots of people do it it's um, a great way of preserving your fertility lots of clinics encourage it lots of doctors i speak to encourage it um it's usually when you get to the point of your egg reserve dropping that you think, oh, I really need to do something. Um, mm. But at least if you can retrieve a few eggs, the better. It's even better to try and freeze em- embryos. So if you have met someone, but you're not ready to have children, to freeze embryos is great because you know that those embryo, the viable ones will be ready to implant when you're ready. Whereas with the eggs, you've got to then get through the whole process of them being viable and matched with sperm and then embryos being viable from them eggs so sometimes you might freeze 20 eggs but only 10 of them will turn into embryos and perhaps only five of them will be viable so it's it's better to freeze embryos if you can but that that might not be possible if you've not met someone so lots of people do freeze their eggs that's really interesting I didn't realize that there was the two different options there um yeah that's that's really good and um sorry another question that sprung to mind now is what happens then say um someone's froze embryos or or eggs and Mm -hmm. if in 20 or 30 years is there an age limit that they can't have them back inside back in their own body or how does not that work a, not that i'm aware of i think clinics will advise it will that the, the if it was if it was embryos or eggs well em, embryos would have to be created to be inserted back into into a woman yes if she they would have to do full assessments of her from a medical point of view to see whether it was viable because obviously the older you get the harder it is to have the embryo implant into your womb and all these sort of you know more complicated things can arise with with birth the older the the older the woman is so it might be that the clinic would advise against it if you had someone over a certain age but you know people are getting older and older having the you know Eva Longoria is 50 isn't she and she's just had successful IVF it's I mean it's just incredible so you know it's getting more common 
Definitely. Um, I think we're we're spring chickens, aren't we, really? Exactly. When you think of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it is true. I mean, you are I mean, I, I'm seeing more and more I say older. I don't even mm. consider these people no. really older at all. But it, it's great to see, really. It because, is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can I can totally understand it. And God, I wasn't ready for children when no. my mom my mum had my brother, I think she was around twenty one. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't have been ready I at know. that age. It seems to be it's generational. You know, my my parents were the same, and it, it it's just um it doesn't happen now. The, the amount of people that I know that have children, even in their twenties, I can't even count on one hand. It, no. it it doesn't happen, does it? And most people are older. They are, um, no. you know, thirty five, forty, forty plus. That that's quite common. Um, mm. you know, lots of, lots of my friends who have got toddlers are in their forties, and um, it. it it, everyone's in the same boat with no one sort of says you know classes and as old parents it's no. just it's just the way we are now people focus on their careers and you know affordability yeah. of houses it's just not oh. the same as it was in the you know the 70s and 80s it's it just it's so different it's so hard to, and even harder now than when I even bought a house it's so difficult oh. to get on the ladder Oh, exactly. Especially yeah. with these blooming heating bills, oh, you know, it's, yeah. it's just, rates. oh, yeah. I know it's crazy. So hard, yeah. It really yeah. So is. they get older, you know, the age may push back and back because people are focusing on their finances, career, feeling, you know, they've got to feel ready for starting a family. Yeah. Um, it may be that we see trends that, you know, there are, in, when, when the Office of National Statistics gets released next, it may be that parenthoods the the average age of parents have gone up again yeah it wouldn't surprise yeah. me at all no me neither and I think um you just have to do what's best for you don't you no matter exactly. what age if you're ready you know yeah you're ready yeah um, and that's why egg freezing is great because you can you can use that to your advantage it's brilliant yeah. I, that is brilliant um I know it's it's really really interesting actually because um I've got quite a few friends that are really quite interested in that and it, it is it's really, it is really, really mm. clever how it is. how science has come about now. It so, is. so um, Nicola, will you tell everybody how they can find you? Um, and Absolutely. I will pop all Nicola's links underneath this podcast. Yeah, so you can either Google. So if you Google my name and Myers and Solicitors, I'll, I'll probably come up quite quickly because we've um, we've got a quite a good website out there or you can just go straight to myerson.co.uk and then go to the family team and I'll be on there as well and then you can put my details at the end of this and my email will be on there my phone number um, so anyone can contact me about any fertility law related questions or surrogacy um, just pick up the phone we can offer a no obligation consultation over the phone at any point just just give me a call I'm happy to help anyone who's got a question about anything we've spoken about today or anything family law related at all yeah, divorce yeah. children disputes all of that kind of thing we, we cover as well I was going to ask you about that actually so so yeah. with my essence you guys cover cover the full range of things really with child arrangements and yes yeah yeah so most of our work is split between um, divorcing couples, so sorting out their finances, and then issues to do with children and the fertility law comes under that. So it'll be typically disputes about where children shall live or how much contact they'll have with one parent or both parents, um, what should happen at school holidays, that kind of thing. Um, we do also advise on prenuptial agreements, postnuptial agreements, Um that we sort of span the whole range of, of family law really um mm. 
Yeah. So if anyone's got any questions at all, if they're thinking of separating or have separated and they just need a steer on what they do next with potentially divorce or sorting out what they do with their finances or they've got immediate financial needs and they're worried about how they're going to be able to afford to pay their bills because perhaps someone's left um, them in difficulty. They're the sorts of questions we get a lot a lot of and we can always help. Um, yeah. But yeah, full range of family law problems. And then as a firm, you know, generally we, we, we work on the private client side as well. So we have solicitors who will prepare wills lasting powers of attorney we've got we've got company and corporate lawyers we have employment lawyers if you've got problems at work or employers have got problems um litigation generally so commercial disputes um yeah so the whole range oh, the wow. only we don't Busy. cover just mm-hmm. so you know we cover everything apart from crime and personal injury they're quite specialized and tend to be standalone firms but we we do pretty much everything else that's brilliant yes. right brilliant well you all know where to go then so absolutely so, Nicola I'll pop your links at the end of this podcast anyway but thank you right. so much for all your help today and answering all my many questions that popped no into problem. my head during that sorry no problem at all it's fine anytime thank you Thank you for listening to today's episode of My Bumped Babies Expert Podcast. If you've got any questions on this subject, all contact details are at the bottom of this podcast. My Bump to Baby is one of the UK's leading parenting platforms. You can find local pregnancy to preschool groups, classes and lessons wherever you are in the UK. Not only that, but you can read our honest reviews on the latest products, days out and services that you as parents need to know about. We also work with trusted financial advisors family law solicitors and now estate agents too. If you would like to find your nearest trusted expert, head over to www.mybump2baby.com. Wondering what's on in your local area? Come and join our weekly newsletter where we share the classes and groups that are on in your local area. From pregnancy to preschool, we have you covered. Click the link below this podcast to receive your newsletter each week, every Sunday, so you know what's on and you can plan your week ahead.